Welcome to episode 210 of Saturday Football Uncensored, brought to you by Saturday Down South and Texas Pete. On today's episode, we react to the newest college football rankings, preview and predict games for week 11 in college football, including the big Michigan-Penn State matchup with our special guest, former Michigan quarterback and co-host of the Crane & Co. show on Daily Wire, David Cohn. You can find the show on our website, SaturdayDownSouth.com and Apple and Spotify. Don't forget to join us for the live recording of the show every Sunday at 8 Eastern time on the Saturday Down South YouTube page. Lastly, go share with your friends. We appreciate you sharing already. Continue to do so as the pod continues to grow. And now, here's the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Saturday Football Uncensored, brought to you by Saturday Down South and Texas Pete. I'm your host, Tyler Huck, and with me, as always, my co-host, my partner in crime, Chris Mahler. Chris, week 11. We're, uh, we're, wind, we're winding down. Don't say that. That sucks. We're gearing up. Gearing up. I'll tell you who's gearing up is Michigan. They're finally going to play somebody. It is November 8th. What are you drinking, by the way? What is that? It's a vanilla Coke. Oh, I love vanilla Coke. It's more yeah. of a summery drink, I feel like. Uh, tastes great right now. What are you drinking? Well, uh, this is straight vodka. Okay. No, um, this is water. Turns out you can't just have four to five Celsius, Celsius, Celsius a day. Um, I had a long day. Kind of, I don't know. I had to wake up at like seven. It's wow. It's so I'm fucking exhausted. Yeah, um, my daughter woke me up at 5 a.m. this morning. Oof, I have had three five hours, two Celsius, and a coffee with two shots of espresso. Okay. And I feel I like, I'd expect on, more energy out of you right now. On top of the world, brother. No, I yeah, I'm like I still have like zero energy. I'm really excited though. We have so many cool little segments today. Look at this. Look, I made this segment for us. Look at this one for our matchups. <laughs> So that is, that, that is the eggplant versus my mouth. Yeah, it's like it's a metaphor. Okay, so I'll have to. I, I don't. Maybe you'll explain it to me later. No, I won't. I mean, you need to figure it out. Okay. Um, okay, let's let's get into this for real. So we talked about this on the last episode. Rankings come out every Tuesday. We record on Wednesday. This comes to you every Wednesday night or Thursday morning, whenever you whenever you listen to it. Um, Nothing changed in this week's. Uh, if you're watching it online, we've got a little graphic at the bottom that I think looks quite good, by the way. It does. Yeah. Uh, your top 10 remains the same as a week ago. Um, some changes in the top 20. You had six teams in the SEC, which is more than anyone else. Uh, in the top 25, the Pac-12 was second with five. Iowa still holding strong. By the way, did you see Iowa's uh, over-under for this week versus Rutgers? It's in the 20s, isn't it? Yeah, second week in a row. God. They went, under last week? they went under last week. He got bought up to 31, and they won 17 to 10. God. I don't – it's so weird. It's 1930s football being played in 2023. I, I don't know how much worse it could get. Like I, I don't know. Who, whatever the offensive coordinator is doing, he needs to go coach the defense at USC and vice versa. Like this is like a Matt Patricia type situation, but like the inverse of that, I guess. I don't know. I've just confused myself. But let's let's get into the actual rankings themselves. So like, I'm, top twenty five. Did you see anything that really jumped out to you? I, th I thought it was funny that Joey Galloway brought up the fact 
that Tennessee jumped four spots, even though they yeah. only beat UConn. That was kind of odd. Uh, Mizzou drops two spots. They stay in the top 15, which I thought was was fair. Um, Oregon State was at 12, correct? Um, I can pull it up. Yeah, um, I believe I, I know that the like I think I think it was 15 was OK State. Um, 14 was Mizzou, 13 was Tennessee, 12 was Oregon State, I believe, and 11, I don't remember who 11 was, um, but those those were some of the teams that were outside the top Louisville? 15. Yes, Louisville was, Louisville was. Um, yeah, by the way, and I texted you as soon as that came out, like, you nailed that preseason. Like, they just, and they're really, who did they lose to? Dude, they lost to, they, they lost to Pitt. Right, who's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, so that is very interesting um, because they could be undefeated. I don't even know if they were undefeated, if they would still be ahead of, um, of uh, what do you call it? They wouldn't uh, be ahead of Oregon, Texas, or Bama. No. And that's going to be the main part of the subject we're going to talk about here in a second. But I also, let me say this though with Louisville. I love the fact that the floor of the ACC is starting to rise and get closer. I don't want to say closer to the ceiling, but like, it's fun. To, it's like this whole year seems different because it's like in the past, I, I I would have been shocked if Bama beating LSU that didn't mean they moved up in the poll at all. Um, and the teams that are blocking them are you have an ACC team at four and then two Pac-12 teams at five and six. And I think it's fair for the most part for all of those. Um, I just love the fact that like Georgia Tech is playing better football. That Boston like there's, College. Boston College is playing a little bit better. I don't think that – Chestnut Hill is a place I want to go to watch a game necessarily, but like NC State, odd decision from their quarterback, by the way, this week, who decided that after winning three games in a row, he's going to redshirt the rest of the year. That's yeah, that tells me he's like, all right, well, I'm going to hit the portal. So I want to save my redshirt year. Yeah. Uh, It's just the, it's the like the period of cultural that we live in. It's weird. It's weird. weird. Um, All right, let's get into the top 10. The top 10, if you are not watching online, you're listening through your headphones. One, we appreciate the numbers up again. We love you guys very much. You guys have been great. Uh, Number 10, Penn State. Number nine, Ole Miss. Number eight, Bama. Seven, Texas. Six, Oregon. Five, Washington. And then your top four are in order. Florida State, then Michigan. Number two, UGA. And number one for the second straight week, Ohio State. Any problems there? No, I mean... I, at first I did. I thought maybe if, if Ohio State struggled with Rutgers, which they kind of did, um, that maybe Georgia would supplant them. But, mm-hmm. you know, the, the committee was pretty clear last week that in their eyes, Ohio State had two – well, in reality, Ohio State had two ranked wins and Georgia had none. Yeah. Now Georgia has one and Ohio State still has two, although Notre Dame is not ranked anymore. Or they are in the CFP at least. Um, I don't know why. I mean, they have three losses, and yeah. I don't know. But it's kind of weird. If you start to go through, like, these scenarios, where do you stop? It's like, okay, well, Ohio State, are they penalized because their win over Notre Dame at Notre Dame is now maybe looked at in a different light, whereas maybe the Florida State win at Clemson, you know, Clemson beat Notre Dame. So yeah. now is it like is that a better win for Florida State? Should they be moving up? I mean, you could go down these paths. I think some of it has to be eye test. And in that case, I don't think Ohio State's the number one team. But if they were last week, I don't see how you could penalize them too much. Bingo. Week to week. Yeah. I think that's one thing that I thought this week, well, uh, October optimism, which I don't even know if I ever even got into. Uh 
optimistic well, it's November now, so it's negative November. Let's go. Negative November. Let <laughs> me tell you something about Joe Biden. No, I'm kidding. Um, no, th- this whole thing with uh, with Ohio State, I thought the one thing that was positive from the, the committee was, yeah, there was no theatrical shit that happened this week where you had anyone that like supplanted the other one, like you said. At the same time, I love that there was some stability out of that where you're like, okay, like you didn't. Everybody holds serve. Everybody holds serve. You didn't need to move anybody, so you didn't move anybody, and and I thought that was fair because if you if the the lack of being a prisoner of the moment, which is something fans really really do, I was impressed with the committee for doing. Now that being said, here's something that I, and I rarely admit this, that I may have been wrong about. Oregon at six. I have said repeatedly that I think Oregon might be one of the best teams in the country. I have also been as loud as possible at how angry I am at Michigan's strength of schedule. And I wrote this down. Here's some interesting stuff. I don't have the numbers on their, their, their conference or their, I'm sorry, their opponent's record, but I do have the winning percentages of the opponents for each top 10 team. Now there are one, two, three, four, five. So half of the field um, in the, uh, in the, what do you call it? In the top um, 10, that has played a um, a schedule where the opponent's record is under uh, under 500. Okay, so the winning percentage of the opponents these teams have played. Um, do you want to guess who the lowest is? Uh, probably Michigan. No. Georgia. Georgia. Interesting. Georgia's winning teams, their opponent's winning percentage is 38.5%, so 385. Um, but everyone there from two to six all under 500 in their winning percentage. Oregon at 47.8, Washington 43.2%, FSU 42.5, Michigan 41.3, Georgia at 38.5%. Um, you look at the strength of schedule numbers from, and it's from ESPN FPI, which I think the FPI in general is stupid, but I use the strength of schedule model just because, you know, like it's the easiest one. It changes every week, and I and I trust that over some of the other stuff that we've seen because if you look at team rankings. There's like 11 different versions of their strength of schedule, and all of it is, is completely fucked. Um, Oregon, I have bang, I've been banging the drum for them, saying that they should probably be in the top four because I think they're a really good team, and I do think they're a really good team. But they've only played one team that's a power five team with a winning record all season, Tyler, and it was no, Utah. Washington. No, it was Utah. I'm sorry, they've only beaten. Okay. They've only beaten. So they played two, and they're yeah. one and one. And that win against Utah gets less and less impressive as the week goes on or the weeks go on because they played against a backup quarterback and that's their one quality win. Now you look behind them and it's like, then it's Texas, Bama, Ole Miss, Penn State. I'm not saying that I think Bama would beat Oregon. I will definitively say that I don't think they should be ahead of Texas. And I don't know how much further they should be ahead, if if at all. I'm fine with them being at eight, okay? Because if they went out, they're most likely going to get in. That being said, I, should Oregon be at six, or should they be further down? I wasn't aware of that uh, stat you just brought up. Isn't that I was crazy? also in the same, you know, and I'm actually, I've, I actually have a, a list in front of me of the Vegas power rating as the third third best team. Right. So. I think it matches what we're saying here, which is the eye test would tell you that, yeah, I think Oregon is, is, is an even better team than Washington yeah. as well. But they did, they've, I guess their schedule hasn't been all that great. And when they did go up against two teams actually worth a damn, they lost one of them. Right. Um, 
So I think there's two things at play here. Um, and in that case, I think they're kind of fairly ranked. I mean, maybe you'd have, maybe you would put Texas in front of them. And in that case, you may put Alabama in front of them too, considering right. Alabama's schedule is much more difficult. I would probably stop at, at Ole Miss because I think they would definitely beat Ole Miss. Mm-hmm. And they would, I think they would bludgeon Penn State. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I think right now, what I'm looking forward to, hopefully, we'll get is a rematch of Washington and Oregon because I think that's what I really want to know is which one yeah. of those teams is better. Yeah, and I I think it'll be interesting though because I think that when you talk about Bama being ahead of Texas, now here's a nightmare scenario if you're an SEC fan. Okay, God forbid Georgia loses this weekend or next weekend. Because I'm not convinced that a one-loss SEC team is going to make it. And I, I know that sounds dumb, but if Ohio State and Michigan finish, one of them finishes undefeated and wins the Big Ten, one of them is in. Florida State, especially if they can get a Louisville win under their belt, like yeah. they are making the playoff. If Washington goes undefeated, they're going to make the playoff. So if you have three undefeated teams, right, which I don't think is that unrealistic, okay, Um yeah. It, like if, if they if they get in, then you're talking about Oregon's out of the picture because they would have lost again, right? But if if Texas is 12 and one, Bama somehow beats Georgia and is 12 and one because that's the scenario we'd be talking about. Georgia's out, and you have to look at who you would put in between Bama and Texas, and you look at Bama's resume with all like <laughs> like it is. It yeah, would be a nightmare scenario. Texas, yeah, Texas won. Beat Bama head to head by ten on the road. Yeah. So, I think I, I listened to a little bit about. Uh, I listened to a little bit of your podcast that you did, or the show Crane and Co., which we'll have um, one of the co-hosts of the show on here to, in a bit to t- talk about Michigan yeah. and Penn State. I don't think that the the committee has a history of doing that. Just saying, hey, I know you guys played, but we think right. Bama's better now. But no, this, no. the CFP also has total control of who they want in the game, essentially. Yeah. Um, and those are two huge brands. So I think all things kind of would favor Texas in that scenario. Yeah. You're right. Which would be crazy because what was the set you brought up on that show? 16 of the last 17 national championships have had an SEC team in them. The in only them. one that didn't, that, that Bama still made the playoff and was the number one seed. They lost to Ohio State. I mean – I, I don't I, I do love this season. I don't think that Bama is right now, even with how good they've they've had some of these wins, I don't think they're a playoff caliber team. And and to be honest, it would be wild. It would be wild. But if I'm looking at this and I say Ohio State goes undefeated, Florida State goes undefeated, Washington goes undefeated, Georgia goes 12 and 0 and loses to, to to Bama, or there's a one loss SC team, I'm kind of fine. With those teams getting in over and Texas over the SEC, like as of today, so that's that's where I'm at with it. Um, let me let me um, kind of spring something on you here, but I was just thinking. So next year, the 12 team playoff starts. Yeah. So if you're like, I'm wondering how I'm feeling going. Like if it was the same scenario as right now next year, like I wonder how I'm feeling as like a Florida State or Washington. It's almost like you feel like you're destined to be in no matter what at this point right so like, you just call off the dogs a little bit not call off the dogs but i mean because well florida state has two rivalry games left and right. anything can happen in those but you know if you're if you're i don't know washington and you're like well we know that pac-12 game is gonna be huge 
we're probably not going to lose to Utah at home, but maybe we will. So we'll we'll play our starters there. But we feel good that we're going to be in the top twelve if we lose because we haven't mm-hmm. lost yet. We only have like two games left on our schedule. It's a dude. You see it in the NFL all the time, and I don't know if there's a detriment to resting your starters. There is something to be said for it. Like if you're a top four team, you're already going to get rest because you're going to get a bye. But like you know, some somebody is going to try and feel that out. You remember when Dan Mullen tried to do that shit? Mm-hmm. Like uh, this weekend, basically in 2020, when he was like, "We're going to rest the stars against LSU. We're a 23 and a half point favorite. Who fucking cares?" And someone threw a shoe. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say the wheels fell off, but a shoe came off. Um, now I will say before we get into this thing with with David, who we're, we're going to bring on in a second, the one issue I did have was with the way the committee talked about Michigan and. The entire idea that Michigan, like, so like they're they're going through the rankings, right? And they're like, you know, Ohio State's got the that 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 win against, you know, it's it's not it's sometimes it, like I think the way he phrased it was like it's the resume, it's the way you beat teams, it is is the perception because Michigan, Michigan is like their their average margin of victory versus Power Five opponents is is way. Why is he sitting like this? Like we're on that Omegle thing. Can he hear us? He looks ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, he can hear us. He can't hear. He can hear everything we're saying. Um, <laughs> um, oh, let's bring him on. Then. I want him to hear this part anyway. So, what's up, dude? How are you? I, I'm still not convinced you're talking to me because the first thing that was <laughs> said was how ridiculous someone looks, and I'm sitting here trying to get a good laugh too. Who are we talking about? <laughs> this is me. This is Connor Clydesdale. This is my. All, this is my. Connor alias. Clydesdale. Yeah. The the the, the alias of all aliases, uh, but you're not wearing a Central Michigan hat. Uh, no one owns a Central Michigan hat besides him and then Central Michigan players. That is like that had to be the worst part of if that's him on the sideline, that had to be the worst part is trying to go find a game team issued Central Michigan gear because that's got to be fucking impossible. How do we not know yet who that is? Are you kidding me? Like this is the, this speaks to the absurdity of this whole situation. I can't even come in here and get off to a runway on the start. We just have to start with the basic. How do we not know yet whether or not that's Connor Stallions? Are you kidding me? What an absolute joke, man. So, so here's the thing, though. Here's what I do love. About it. I'm going to wear these sunglasses the whole time. Um, so here's what I love about it. It's the fact that – actually, I'm not. I look like Guy Fieri a little bit. I don't like it. Um, so here's the thing. That whole situation where Jim McElroy is like, I don't know. I don't, I don't, we don't know who that could be. I kind of love the the idea that like maybe Central Michigan's like gonna fuck with Michigan a little bit and be like, ah, we don't know. We can't, we can't identify him. We have no clue who it could be. Like just the most <laughs> petty, passive aggressive thing possible. Cause there's no way he's an unidentifiable person. It's a white dude with a goatee in Michigan. Now that, that doesn't really narrow it down a whole bunch, but I mean, at the same time, like it's gotta be, you gotta be, you gotta know who he is at some point. How do we not know who's on the sidelines of a football game? It's insane, fellas. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, we didn't get you off to a great start. That's my bad, but I'm not going to apologize for it. Um, we're just talking no, about <laughs> we're just talking about the the playoff rankings, and and our guest today is is David Cohn, um, not the pitcher. I had to say that to Tyler. No. He was very confused. <laughs> no, but we did have a connection. David Cohn tweeted at me six months ago and he said brother from another you have to understand something fellas i spent 35 years of my life having people go wait oh like the pitcher imagine that and all i wanted all i wanted in life my only goal was to make sure that david cone the pitcher knew i existed 
and he yeah. tweets at my brother from another followed your career at Michigan. Guys, it's not oh. like I was Tom Brady there or something. This guy yeah. knew he knows what's going on. And the next thing we need to do is we get it, we got to get him on the pod. But no, what I tell people is uh, I'm David Cohn, not the pitcher. I would never pitch for the Mets. Never pitch for the Mets. <laughs> I don't want to pitch for the Yankees either, but at least there's some appeal yeah. there. What if you would have? What if that response you would have been like? What if he caught you at like a really bad time? Like I'm, I'm irrational a lot of times, and like if somebody's texting me while I'm like busy or and I have a tendency to overreact. What if he would have caught you at like a bad time where you'd like, I don't know, had been like trying to make dinner and you had just cut your finger and your kid was crying and you're like, not now, damn it! Like and just yeah. cut out David. Cohen you mean like right now? Years, I'm waiting for it. You mean like right now for the past three weeks where I'm trying to John Snow the entire college football world off my alma mater right now? Yeah. Again, everything's just coming back to that in my life, and I can feel my blood pressure rising. Thank you, Chris. Well, I'll, I'll take it. I'll take a step back, Tyler. You you start with the questions because you know I'm going to be hard hitting about how much. I already I've already been on his show this morning, and I right off the bat I tried to bait him immediately, and he just sat there, just calm, cool, and collected hands folded like a dad taking a nap and a lazy boy and i was very disappointed i was very disappointed but tyler you start wait what are we gonna hit him with uh, just straight game questions or are we gonna d- dive into connor uh clydesdale here i mean we could do i we're not gonna not talk about let's talk let's start with connor Stiles. fine fuck it i'll start here's my question for you and it'll be it'll be choose your own adventure do you want to start with Connor stallions or the michigan strength of schedule talk that we talked a little bit about this morning and, 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 you know and what? i want to start I'll start. start. How about that? Yeah. How about that? Yeah, you <laughs> okay, you all, start, David, David Cohn. I, I'm not convinced that your listeners are that familiar with me, so I'll just start with myself here. Look, I'm from South Georgia. All I wanted to do growing up was play college football. I wanted to play in the NFL too, but, man, I just wanted to play college football. And, you know, I grew up – I was a Florida State fan, an Auburn fan, a Georgia fan. Like, I, I just I, – you yeah. know, I didn't have any anticipation to go a 1,000 miles away from home. But Michigan right. gave me that opportunity. I remember that day sitting in Lloyd Carr's office when he offered me a scholarship to play football there. I thought, man, this is a long way from home, but let's do it. The winningest college football program of all time. I went there. I bled for that football program. Was never the starting quarterback. I didn't go to the NFL. But you know what? Uh, Life took me uh, a a different way, and I'm proud of what I was able to accomplish there. So when I look at uh, what's been going on here for, let's just say, the past 10 years, right? uh, Lloyd Carr brought me in. Rich Rodriguez came in. We win 20 games my first two years. Then all of a sudden, Rich Rodriguez comes in. We win eight my the, the the next two years we snap a 35 game bowl streak michigan for the first time really saw how bad things could get right and even though right. brady coat brady hope came in that first year won the sugar bowl had a had a good season everybody knew that if you can go get jim harbaugh to be your head football coach you do that right and jim harbaugh has proven time and time again when he gets his quarterback right he was the quarterback guru when he gets his guy he can be anyone at multiple levels which is something not Mm -hmm. a lot of even great coaches can say right i mean this guy's winning 11 and 12 games at stanford with andrew luck he's 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 getting the most out of alex smith at the 49ers we never saw anybody get the most out of alex smith yeah Um, Um, when he was in the NFL drafts Colin Kaepernick goes to the Super Bowl right and then for for really seven seasons at Michigan the knock is man we're not beating our biggest rival we're losing to Michigan State our next biggest rival. we're not winning anything in the postseason we're not winning the conference he can't be Urban Meyer and we haven't developed a quarterback Right. And then I think when people started to ask me, especially during the COVID year, should Jim Harbaugh be fired? It was the first time where I thought, you know, we could move on from Jim Harbaugh at this point and I would be fine with it. But 
Who else are you going to go get? Maybe it's time. Maybe it's time for Michigan to say, you know what, this is the best we can be. And and a lot mm-hmm. of what people inside the Michigan fan base and the alumni would say to me is, well, we just don't play dirty enough, man. Like you know, we know that the OSU is paying players, and we know what the SEC is doing. And I never gave it too much credence. I mean, I would nod yeah. along when they would say these things. And I, you know, I, I played with a lot of guys, and no one's ever told me that they got paid money from the University of Michigan. Not that they would just offer up that sort of information. I'm sure Michigan, the football program and the athletic department has done plenty in their time. But there is something to this idea of the Michigan man and having integrity Mm -hmm. and, you know, all of that sort of stuff. And we take pride in that. I want to be a part of an institution that, you know, treats character at a high level. But when I when I see what's going on here specifically with uh, with these allegations from the NCAA, it's clear to me that a couple things. One, the NCAA is out to get college football. Okay, and I say that because they see that they're losing their stranglehold on the sport. Right. They want to do everything Mm -hmm. they can to tarnish college football and to prop up college basketball because they still run the final four. And if this if this incident were in a vacuum, we'd have be having a much different conversation. But you're going to tell me in 2010 when all the news broke about Cam Newton getting paid the week they're going to play Georgia. And we know that the NCAA knew about it before the season started. That that's just sort of a coincidence? No, you're releasing that in a timely manner to diminish college football. Same with this incident here. You've known that Michigan is involved in some sort of you know espionage attempts to 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 scout future opponents, and it breaks the day before Michigan plays Michigan State. So the NCAA the NCAA wants to make college football. Uh, look worse and worse. We know that. And specifically Jim Harbaugh, because this is a coach who has advocated for player compensation, right? Like, and and, and he's pro-life and there's a, there are a lot of other things going on. I have my own problems. I'd like for Jim Harbaugh to do a lot of things different, but he's very eccentric. He can't be controlled. He's doing these satellite camps when he gets to Michigan, right? He's sort of, he's really out there. The NCAA milk at dinner as an adult. I want to throw that out there too. That's, that's my biggest issue with him, but keep going. Okay, Uh, that's where ESPN comes into me. Like ESPN has a vested financial interest for the Big Ten, all of the Big Ten schools of Michigan and Jim Harbaugh to fail. Right. I mean, they have television deals with the college football playoff and with virtually every other conference other than the Big Ten. So when I see Paul Feinbaum, I think this was even the day that you might have been on a show, Chris, but Paul Feinbaum and Stephen A. Smith and McAfee and Peter Burns and all of these guys come out on basically the same day you know, doing a 180 on Jim Harbaugh's time. It was almost like the memo came down from on high and they all read it at the exact same time. I guess it works on a lot of college football fans. This right. this sort of tactic works. Unfortunately, I follow the sport for a living. And then the third aspect of this to me is that Michigan is just actually good, right? Like yeah. the, a large part of this is Jim Harbaugh did get his quarterback. J.J. McCarthy's a really good quarterback. And you combine that with the fact that he has great edge rushers for the past four or five seasons, mm-hmm. has developed has developed the run game there all of those things like michigan is finally good everybody is going to want to come at you when you are on top it's just so funny to me that this is happening when michigan hasn't won a national championship see if we just won the natty i'd be laughing about this like hey everybody got you when you're the king all we've done is won the conference back-to-back years which is better than the alternative what i was seeing from you know 2010 to 2020 but still michigan's going to have to start to understand Hey, everybody comes at you when you're on the top. You know, you look at yeah. the, the the Bill Belichick stuff with Spygate. He ended up winning six Super Bowls. I never thought I'd see 
anything more ridiculous than Tom Brady wanting the football slightly with less air in it. All of a sudden, deflate gate. He gets a four-game suspension, ends up winning seven Super Bowls. The Cam mm-hmm. Newton era, the SEC and Auburn kept their mouth shut. He, they not only win the national championship, he wins the Heisman. I see this as I see this as a witch hunt, a witch hunt, regardless if Connor Stallions actually violated NCAA bylaws. That's how I see it. The specifics of the matter is this guy, Connor Stallions, by everything I've been told from inside the program, former military, cares deeply about Michigan football, was really, really good at what he did. And what his job was to do was to scout future opponents. Now, again, all of this to me comes down to, did he find a loophole in NCAA Mm -hmm. bylaws and he exploited it? Or did he think he found one, but he actually violated language in the bylaws? Like, that's all I want to know. Like, what rule was broken? What evidence do you have? And then most importantly, like, what's the punishment for that? Jim Harbaugh getting fired and you vacating every win for the past, like, what, five seasons? That seems ridiculous to me. So I just want all the college football fans out there who are a lot of whom are cheering for this because, hey, when Mm -hmm. it's not your team, you want, you know, the other team, uh, their downfall. Just college football fans. Don't get played by this right now. Don't get pl- yeah. played by the propaganda because I find it disappointing that we're talking about this when an undefeated Michigan team is about to go play a one-loss Penn State team, and that's what we should be talking about. And everyone who has come out and says, oh, well, you're biased because you played there or you're a homer, just know I stood up for Mason Smith at LSU against the NCAA. I stood up for Tez Walker at UNC against the NCAA. I, I do not respect this organization. I wish there was better leadership, nope. and uh, we'll have to see how it plays out. Well, you keep saying that we should talk about Penn State, Michigan. That's what we were going to fucking do. And you just started going on this whole diatribe about your stupid school you went to. And it's my fault. No, I'm, it's my fault. Yeah, totally your fault. No, honestly, I will say this, man. Like, there's not a single thing you just said. And there's some, like, inflammatory comments that, that you sprinkled in there. There's not a single thing you just said that I disagreed with at, at all. And, okay. and like, I, I think that you're spot on with what you said about the NCAA. I really, I really do. Like, it fires me up talking about it because it's like, you're a former athlete. Like you, like you played under the NCAA like umbrella. Did you ever feel like the NCAA was out to help the student athlete if it didn't Do involve guys, them putting money in their own pocket? What the part that I talked about where it's like Michigan's going to have to deal with this kind of stuff if they really want to be on a mountaintop, just like just mm-hmm. like Alabama and Georgia and all those other schools. Do you guys remember the the? scandal of Michigan practicing too many hours under Rich Rodriguez and being under NCAA investigation. Do you guys remember that? Not many people do, right? Not many people do. Why? Because Michigan wasn't any good when Rich Rodriguez was there. So to answer your question, I had to sit across from the NCAA twice. I had to do it twice. Once because I was one of the first players on the team to get called in. And this was mandatory practice hours. This shows you the gray area in the language. Let's just take my example specifically. I have to sit across from five different people at the NCAA who are asking me questions about was it mandatory for you to practice X amount of hours and to lift weights in the summertime? I'm a senior. I don't want to get banned from a bowl game or anything else. And so I say like, well, I don't know. Like, they have pra- they say well they say uh, someone said football so I came a running when they say it's practice time I go to practice when they say we're lifting weights tomorrow I go lift weights I don't know if I have to be there or not or if it's mandatory yeah. right well that's the answer. language like I could not go right I would get kicked off the team most likely right, I never right. <laughs> you guys don't have to do your podcast it's not mandatory yeah well apparently a lot of my teammates that spoke after me 
they didn't they didn't say quite the same thing. So I get called back in a second time and now they have a list. Well, who was such and such coach that was weighing y'all in and taking your weights and who was who was such and such and where were y'all practicing on this day? And then, and so, again, I just said, like, look, if they were writing down our names to check us in at weightlifting or practice, like I just thought they were writing down my weight. I don't know. You know, and I'm yeah. sure that this is what happened. I'm, I guarantee you this is what happened with Jim Harbaugh with this whole Burger Gate situation. But that's yeah. part of what frustrates me about this whole thing is, one, the NCAA has yet to acknowledge or to notify Michigan of of any accusations of wrongdoing with this specific situation, which is why I can't believe everyone's rushing to judgment on this, especially Heisman Trophy voters and everyone mm-hmm. who's of importance at ESPN and the college football, well, not the college football playoff, but ESPN particularly. Yeah. But it goes worse than that. Michigan hasn't even officially been, uh, uh, hasn't received any notifications of wrongdoing from the whole COVID burger gate thing. They hadn't received any of it. So Michigan suspended their own coach 25% of the season because the NCAA clearly had enough or whatever, you know, during, uh, during COVID period. I don't know. It just, it gets me frustrated when, you know, we're talking about an organization here who they wouldn't bat an eye with men hoisting up trophies in women's sports. But then all of a sudden we want to talk about, we want to make competitive fairness, uh, uh, a, t- a reality TVified version of some high school uh, soap opera. I, I don't. I don't understand it. It's sad, but I'm excited the way this college football season has played out. And I'm telling you, this college football playoff boys, we're in for a really good one. I think it could mm-hmm. be the first one in a while where the four teams are conference champions, which could be exciting. I, I, real quick, before Tyler, you get in here, I'm just gonna let you know right now. I give you a lot of shit. I give everyone a lot of shit. I, I know I give you a lot of shit. There's not a single thing you've said that I have disagreed with or have not enjoyed. This is like my favorite interview we've ever done already. And we're like, we're wow, eight minutes in. It, dude, I, like really everything you said, like it is, and I, we don't need to get into the stuff about like women's sports, but yes. And thank you for fucking saying it because it's a joke. The stuff that we want to, not we, but the instantly wants to champion for versus the stuff they don't. And I think that you hit the yes. nail on the head with like the, the financial part of it and why it's a big deal. We'll move on to the actual game stuff. I I just want to let you know, I'm very appreciative of everything you just said. Tyler, take it away. All right. Uh, so Harbaugh came out and compared uh, McCarthy to a mix of Tom Brady and Jim McMahon. So <laughs> high praise. What, what do you think has made McCarthy? I feel like he's kind of gone under the radar. You know, you talk about the Heisman, yeah. talk about Penix, uh, a couple of the quarterbacks out west, Bo Nix, but you rarely hear McCarthy's name out there. Mm-hmm. Um, what what kind of makes him one of the best QBs? Because, I mean, his completion percentage is off the charts. Yeah. Um, and really, if you look at the past couple games, I know Blake Corum has 16 touchdowns, but they're not, you know, they're averaging under four yards per carry the last couple games. McCarthy's really been the one that's carrying the offense. 16 like. touchdowns? I feel like I should yeah. know that. 16 touchdowns, but only like 600 rushing yards. I don't think Blake Corum is in the Heisman yeah. conversation the way he, he was last year. And they have blowout wins their last four weeks, but haven't rushed for over 200 yards in any one of those games. That's why I'm particularly interested to see how Michigan is able to run the football against Penn State, especially if Chop Robinson comes back. Remember getting hurt against the Buckeyes. Um, J.J. McCarthy going under the radar, yet still right now ranking third on DraftKings to win the Heisman Trophy. Uh, I don't think he will. He's not in my top five right now, but the 
reason that he is sort of going under the radar is twofold. One, Michigan is a run first team. And while they've been leaning on J.J. McCarthy more and more, and which I'm particularly excited to see what happens this weekend and what happens against this Jim Knowles defense the last game of the season, because he's not going to play cover zero the whole game like he did last year. They're going to lean on J.J. McCarthy more and more, but they are still a run first team. It's sort of like why, you know, Stetson Bennett for a while wasn't really considered, you know, to be a Heisman Trophy candidate in some of those, uh, especially two seasons ago with that Georgia National Championship. And the second part of this is, and this is what Chris, I think, wants to get into with the strength of schedule. J.J. McCarthy's not playing for the last quarter and a half of games. I mean, there's seven minutes left in the third for a lot of these games, and he's out of it. Now, look, I want my team to win, right? But like I told Chris this morning on our show, I'd rather see marquee matchups. We need marquee matchups more than we need undefeated teams, which, Chris, I know you're going to get into the strength of schedule, but that's particularly why J.J. McCarthy is sort of flying under the radar. Now, where he's improved from last season is the arm strength. You talked about the completion percentage off the charts. I think he's third in the country right now behind, uh, he's certainly behind Bo Nix uh, in completion percentage, but he's right up there in the top three. And he had a high completion percentage last year. It's very exciting to see the way he throws the ball, especially off play action that complements this run game. But the arm strength to me, I'm looking at him this year thinking, I don't know if there's a throw he can't make, which is not what we were saying about him last year. When you combine that with some of his decision-making in the RPO game this year, he's pulling it on zone read. I think he's pulling it on zone read at the right times this year when last year that wasn't necessarily the case. And obviously his freshman year when Cade McNamara was the starter, it was more or less when he comes in the game, you know exactly what you're going to get, kind of like a Taysom Hill with the Saints situation. Either way, he's, he's playing good football, a little bit inaccurate down the field the past two weeks. I think this is a perfect time to really dial it in because two of the next three weeks, he needs to play his best football because he's going to play two of the top 10 teams in the country. I'm not going to give you any shit about the strength of schedule just because I'm still in awe of what you said about the NCAA. So I, I, we're done with the strength of schedule talk. Um, the Penn State <laughs> game, this game in particular, like you're, you're going to Happy Valley. It's a very difficult place to play. One of my favorite reels, we've, we've actually had – Shea Patterson on on the pod before where he talked about mm-hmm. just like that that famous moment coming on the field and, and you know the, them playing Sheck West and everyone going crazy that is a tough tough environment yeah. it is a 12 o'clock start um I know that a majority of our listeners and we've expanded like you know the footprint a little bit this year but a majority of our listeners are still kind of rooted around the SEC just a lot like your show give us a name that we don't know like we we know Blake Horn we know JJ McCarthy Give us a name that we don't know to look forward to in this game against Penn State for Michigan. Yeah, well, look, uh, I've been I've been a huge fan of this tight end Colston Loveland uh, since last year when he caught the big branch and go route uh, against the Buckeyes in the game. I love the way he plays. And, you know, Michigan is one of those Big Ten teams where they're going to stay with a solid tight end. Right. I played with some great mm-hmm. ones in my time. And, you know, Jake Butts, a friend of mine, too, he's on the Big Ten Network. But, you know, Colston Loveland, I love the way he plays football. He's going to be key, you know, down the stretch here, similar to how the Buckeyes, you'd Cade Stover a good bit. And you saw how big Stover was in big games like yeah. Notre Dame catching the football um, that and, and the offensive line here too. I mean, Michigan back-to-back Joe Moore award winners with the offensive line and the word, you know, the word has been all off season and so far into the season. Oh, this unit's even better could have eight guys from the line drafted off the line. I'm thinking only five of them start. We have three backup linemen that could get drafted. I want to be rushing for 300 yards a game. Right. right? <laughs> and so when it, when, you know, that's sort of what we need to see really, uh, really pick up. And then another thing here on Donovan Edwards, you know, Donovan Edwards is not playing the caliber of football that he was at the end of last Mm -hmm. year when he filled in for Blake Corum 
I don't know what the reasoning is. It's in every aspect of the game, to be honest. It's not only in um, not hitting the right gaps in the run game, but he's not blocking as well. Uh, did catch a, a touchdown last week. I believe he caught that touchdown last weekend. Um, so that was good to see. We're gonna need we're gonna need the two headed monster, not just Blake Corum down the stretch of this. If they truly yeah. want to do what Michigan is saying they want to do, which is actually compete in the college football playoff this year, and Donovan Edward, Edwards will be a big part of that. Well, he was a big part, certainly a big part last year. He was a what 173 yards, two touchdowns in this game, mm-hmm. uh, 41-17 in Ann Arbor, and Blake mm-hmm. Corum was also like 165 yards rushing in that game as well. So, um, I'm looking at. Uh, Really, uh, the, both defenses have been absurd. I mean, I think Penn State's second yards per game allowed, Michigan's first. I don't think either team has a lot of point in the third quarter this year, which is absurd. I could be yeah. off on that. But How crazy is that? Yeah. Um, Penn State's third in scoring defense, but Michigan's first. Um, where, I, where I see Michigan having the the big, I guess, edge in the game is, uh, is obviously a, mostly just at quarterback. I, Drew Allard mm-hmm. this year, to me, whether it's the the OC not wanting to go down the field, we we've talked about it, and James Franklin's talked to fans about it, and kind of got into a little bit of a scrap with them about it. But I just don't know that they have. You look at Lari; he's 55th in QBR, 67th in completion percentage, and 106th in yards per attempt. How, how does Penn State? I mean, yeah. let me ask you this: What are you more? What are you more uh, sure about Michigan covering in the game or the under in this game? Ooh. Uh, I would say the under just because, look, things get weird in games like this and there's a lot of extracurricular things at play. You know, the I do feel good about Michigan minus four and a half. I think that line is right. And let me just say something on Beaver Stadium real quick since Chris mentioned it. The coolest college football environment that I got to experience. I, you know, you'd have to put the Rose Bowl up there as well just because that was yeah. sort of this one-off thing that was incredible. But Beaver Stadium in terms of like Big Ten stadiums that I went to, I had the uh, great fortune to play two night games there well I say great fortune unfortunate that that is just a hostile night environment and I think that's part of why I think the line is right here because this is a big noon kickoff game and not a night game so minus four and a half the last time Penn State really really whipped Michigan not 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 won the game but really whipped them was the Saquon Barkley years you know he returned a kick for a touchdown he's scoring in every way imaginable you could see who the best football player on the field was right so I don't think Penn State doesn't have that necessarily this year. They're not going to have any sort of positional advantage over Michigan, which means to me, one, you have to do your absolute best to sort of, you know, stonewall this running game from Michigan, which given what I said the last few weeks, that's not necessarily impossible, right? Penn State has an elite defense and you saw the way they played the Buckeyes. Like this could be that sort of, you know, defense on defense, low scoring game. Then what you need to do though, is get after JJ McCarthy. Remember the strip sack uh, touchdown that they had on Kyle McCord that gets called back because of holding on yeah. Marvin Harrison Jr. Just shows how elite he is, even when he's not getting the football. He's so integral to the game plan, right? Like that's the kind of thing I think Penn State's defense need to do, especially if Chop Robinson comes back. Strip sack fumble. Maybe you can force J.J. McCarthy into an air. He has a little bit of gunslinger in him, maybe a pick six. Maybe you get a punt return touchdown on special team, something like that. And then just hold serve on offense. I don't see Drew Aller really like making these huge plays down the field. I think they've had one, one explosive play was what Jake was talking about today on our show through the first uh, eight weeks. So, you know, 
but if you can do those other things, sort of hold serve and at least not make mistakes with a young quarterback on your end, I think would be like the, the best game plan for Penn State to be able to beat this. And then the, all those extracurricular things that I talked about, like Penn State's going to be up for this game, right? And they're yeah. going to be at home. And regardless of what Michigan staff did or didn't do, everyone's going to run with the narrative of, oh, this team right here, you know, cheated us in some way or another. Um, that can only get you so far. That can get you hyped up for a drive or two. But it is a mentality with 18 to 22 year old kids here and that's the reason they play the games because if if the more talented roster always won it'd be a pretty boring sport yeah that's fair um all right we're gonna get you out of here with two more things one i want a prediction for the game and then two we're gonna and tyler i need you to to bring up the plays because i don't know how to do that um uh one of my favorite pieces of content is you know hold on give me just give me a score prediction real quick and then then we'll go to the last part just what do you got? All right, I'm going to go uh, – let's go 26-17 Michigan is what I'm going to okay. go with. That's a good Big Ten score, too. This game. Huh? That's a good Big Ten score, too, 26-17. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's not as automatic as what I've been every week with Iowa. I mean, I took Iowa minus 29 and a half, and it hits by a mile, you know? Yeah. It's awful. It, it's like they, – they. I had a text from a buddy today. I was like, dude, do you see this, this over-under for – Rutgers and and uh and Iowa and I was like what is he's like 29 and a half is that like a record all time I was like no it's not even a record from the last two weeks because last week it was 29 it, like what are we doing yeah. it's, it's insane no, exactly but then you see Washington and USC in the over under 76 and a half and hits by a mile right like right. the live betting line went up to like 104 or something like that all of those teams will be in the in the Big Ten next year so that's just yeah. Big Ten football right there um but yeah I mean <laughs> You know, it's just – I don't know what to make it. You could play good football in multiple ways. I remember Georgia and yeah. Missouri last year when Missouri played them to four four points at their place was a really low-scoring game. Like, it was the same week that, like, at in, Indiana or Northwestern had a really ugly low-scoring uh, week, but right. Georgia and Missouri was still lower. And I'm like, well, look, you can't just say, oh, well, this is just good defense on this end, but yeah. the other side is ugly football. You know, any of these teams any week can, can beat you, which is what the great part about college football is. So – I think that this is going to be a fun one. What What are your guys' predictions for this game? Well, we're we're going to do them after this, but I I, I think especially for talking to you, I I just I like the mentality of Michigan and what they're going to do. I, I think that Michigan probably ends up pulling away, like in a typical Harbaugh way. Like I I don't say last year's game was an anomaly by any means, but like I don't think it's forty one seventeen. I think it's close. That crowd will keep them into it, and then Michigan will do what's done to everyone else in their path this year, which is slowly but surely suffocate you with like great defense pounding the run game and then lean on you lean on you and, and find a knockout punch and i think that by the fourth quarter you're looking at, at, at a probably a double digit score so i would say I think so. probably make 28 no to 13 yeah make no mistake man penn state without a doubt can win this football game they're champing at yeah. the bit i mean james franklin really needs that sort of signature win against one of these bigger programs and just remember during that covid year or no right after that covid year as we were in 2021 jim, jim, uh, jim harbaugh and james franklin had almost identical records in the conference mm -hmm. and overall and one of them jim harbaugh was talking about oh should we should we fire this guy should we move on from him he hasn't lived up to expectations That's and crazy. james franklin's name started to appear for the usc job when clay helton got fired and that just yeah. shows you what a difference two years has made but penn state you know went uh, 11 games last year but not the biggest one he's ready to win this football game and then on the michigan side of things to me you can't lose right everything right. that's gone on with michigan football the past three weeks has been a net negative right like regardless 
regardless mm-hmm. of regardless if no rules were broken or regardless if if rules were broken but everyone's doing it it's all been a net negative on reputation which i think was the goal of some people who leaked these stories but but the thing that can offset that is you just continue to win football games like what yeah. are people going to say now if you go thrash penn state and you beat the buckeyes or you win a national championship like, what are people going to say then at some point when someone says you're a cheater what they really mean is i lost right so but you can't go lose you yeah. can't go lose and 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 it makes it it adds even more pressure to Michigan for me because you know you go lose on the road at Penn State any year I don't care how good your team is there's there's no shame in that right like mm-hmm. Penn State could easily win this game but after all that's gone on and people are calling you cheaters and you had everyone's signals if you go lose a football game now whatever PR nightmare well, you were dealing with is just going to get worse I'm just saying that as someone who yeah. played there and it's not going to be pretty well listen one of the one of the pieces of content that's not only my favorite thing or one of my favorite things that you do. It's just one of my favorite things that's happened in all of college football this year from the media is you breaking down plays on Monday after, after Saturday's uh, performances. Oh, it's thank such you. good content. It's, it's awesome. It's awesome. And, and if you're unfamiliar with what he does, basically what he, what it do, I, I don't remember the name of the actual segment, but he'll come on and say like, you know, luck. Here's a, here's a luck, boys. And, I, and it'll be a significant play from a game. And you've done it with Jalen Miller a couple of times. So what we've done here, all right, we're, like we're, we're going to, we're going to, test your knowledge a little bit because it's not often we get somebody that has like, Hey, here's an actual play call. And this is what the bunch formation, or this is what the formation would be mm-hmm. out of blah, blah, blah. Like Tyler, pull up a first play. And, and I want, we want to pull up a couple of plays and have you tell us what the actual play call would be for each mm-hmm. of these. Okay. So if, if you're up to it, the first one is from Tyler, uh, his alma mater, um, Florida state, a, a very, very unique uh, play call here. Where the fuck is it, Tyler? There it is. Okay, so now you you tell us what the formation would be here, and give us a play call. And what you think it'll happen? Because what I, and, and for those of you not being able to to see this, um, Florida State has, I believe, eleven men on the field. They're in a pistol formation as as you're gathering mm-hmm. this. Two receivers uh, to to the short side of the field. One lined up in the backfield and facing the wrong direction. Um, what do you think the play call is here? So it's, a little, it's a little blurry <laughs> to me. Let's see. Is is the running back on the other side of him? Yeah, now everyone's on the right side. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Play it one more time. Tyler, start it over. Look at us the technology. Right, Looks like here, the running back flexes out. Huh? All right. I think it. I think it's just then, a video making fun of it, so they just zoom in on the backwards player eventually. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Well, I, the play doesn't play out, so it's just the formation. But I would say, you know, we got uh, uh, pistol explode to cluster right heavy, and then you know you'd have to play out the uh, the play so I could see what the actual concept. Let's see if it actually plays out here. It was probably a failure because this was under Willie okay. Taggart. In a thousand percent. Well. Oh, this was under <laughs> Willie Taggart. Yeah, <laughs> wide receiver going the wrong way. You know what? Since he's faced the wrong way, we could just call this formation, um, you know, uh, uh, Marler to uh, Marler to cluster right. Since he's, he's going love it. the wrong way, always going the wrong way. I love it. Right. Tyler, we had to have another one. We had to have another one that, that plays out. Um, and it really, like, we're joking around, man. Like, okay, then this is a good one. Now, go go to minute two oh three in this play. And and I want you to guess what you think happens. Now this Here, is well, why don't we just let it play out? Because this was this was a fourth down and twenty six. They bomb it yeah. down. 
So they get the first down. There's one second left. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, what so... are you not allowed to do under? What did you say? Ball? What did you ask me? What What are you not allowed to do under three seconds as a quarterback if you're trying to stop the clock? Oh, get sacked. <laughs> well, either that or spike the ball. Hold on one second. You're breaking up a little bit. Yeah, okay, this segment did not go as planned. <laughs> no, all Sorry, good. I love it. Internet so, my internet's bad. Um, so, yeah, I mean, rewind that one again from the top. So they're running. So out of out of a cluster right formation there, they're in the shotgun cluster right. They're running uh, basically what we would call a Devo special here, which is just the three verticals from that cluster set. And yeah, Hail Mary, like, let's see if you can get one guy trailing and uh, see if you can get a big play here. Watch. OK, yeah, here we go. Three verticals. They get down Caught. to six yards but now it's, that it's was less miles as the QB or is the coach. You know something is going to be fucked up. Yeah, pause it here. This is you the less miles years. <laughs> the less miles years. It's not good. It's not good. Okay, listen. This didn't play out as well as I want to. We should do this again <laughs> because I would love to see you play, oh, like and just like it. that's right. Of course, yeah. and then the game, the the clock ran out and they and they lost the game. Um, listen, oh, we, uh, less we, miles. Hey, we need to do this story again on less though, miles, for sure. Though. When Les Miles was was in the conversation to take over the Michigan job from uh, Lloyd Carr, there were these signs at College Game Day that said, "We need a car with less miles." Is the sign that I yikes? Yeah, that's good. Didn't end up that's happening good. though. Um, Listen, no, it was just uh, so those plays you. were breaking up. Th- those plays were breaking up a little bit, but I'd love to like you know come on and do a, a breakdown of any sort that you want. Yeah, we'll have to do it for sure because it really is one of my favorite favorite segments. We had one that was the annexation of Puerto Rico, but we'll have to we'll have to break that down another time. Um, man, I, I can't say thank you enough for coming on. It's been really really good. Uh, tell them where they can find you if they don't already follow you, and then also the show. Um, you guys have had tremendous success and, and and love to see it. Wish nothing but more before you, man. Well, um, man, it's it really is mutual, Chris. I have to say, I've I've spent time with you in person, and we talk a lot on Twitter. And I always enjoy uh, any time that we speak, man. Uh, I think you're a class act, and thanks for putting out such great content. Again, we're all lovers of college football, right? I want what's yeah. best for the sport, and congratulations on your guys' success. Please check out our show. Anyone who's listening there, check out our show, Crane and Company. You can get it on YouTube or Spotify, Apple, any of your podcast sources. You can also uh, watch it and listen on thedailywire.com and. And then I'm David Adam Cohn. I'm not the pitcher. Maybe that's what should be my handle. But David Adam Cohn on Twitter and Instagram and all the social medias and things like that. Please, uh, let's stay in touch and do it again soon. Sounds good, man. We will talk to you then and uh, and, and and hopefully see you soon. See you. Thanks. That was good. I fucked up the fucking technology. I shouldn't have fucked up the fucking technology because that's way too aggressive. But I messed up the technology because that was that would have been perfect. That whole segment he does is awesome. It's it's like I know, I know. It's well, awesome. my internet, my internet's so screwed up. So that was my bad. Okay. Well, um, no, we appreciate that. That was really good. Uh, we appreciate David coming on. Let's let's get into the second half. As he kind of alluded to it, I already gave you my pick. Let's talk a little bit about the the, the team that obviously he played for and their big game against Penn State this weekend. Michigan going to Penn State, eleven a.m. kick. What do you have? What is the line at? Four and a half. So okay. uh, game is uh, Penn State's plus four and a half. Totals forty five and a half. Um, I was going to give my my scoring the same amount that David said. I've got him scoring twenty seven. 
struggling to see how they're going to score in this game. They were yeah. they only scored six points uh, against Penn State before garbage time at the end. Um, and I just don't. I mean, I know it's a home game, so they may be able to sneak in. Like, so I was actually looking at this while we were talking to David. If you look at Penn State's game this year, like they they struggled against Ohio State and then weirdly mm-hmm. against Indiana. Yeah, and they were only yeah they were only plus one in the turnover ratio in those two games. If you look at the games where they've had these blowouts this week against Maryland, they had four turnovers. You might look at the Iowa uh, Iowa game and say, "Wow, they won thirty one to zero. They scored thirty one points against an Iowa defense. They had four. Tur- they were plus four in the turnover." Right. At Illinois, they won thirty to thirteen, plus five in the turnover category. If they don't have turnovers in this game, which you know McCarthy's been really good at at completion percentage and QBR and really protecting the ball, I don't see how they're going to score a ton of points in this game. So I got twenty seven ten Michigan. I think that's the thing. Like like I said it when I when I made my prediction twenty eight thirteen. The number seems so low, but I don't see how they score multiple touchdowns if there isn't a trick play involved. Also, let's not forget that Michigan has given up, I think, before the Purdue game, they would only given up one team, that, or sorry, no teams that scored more than 10 points against them all year. Um, I, I give them a lot of shit. The, 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 the record itself should speak for itself. Like, I know the strength of schedule is really bad, all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, you start talking about some teams that have, have put up a an average margin of victory of over 30 points per game. And you, you look at the teams that have done it. There's not a lot that have won national championships that have had even that much success. And Georgia in 2021 was one of them in the regular season before they played Alabama. The other two that come to, that come to mind, uh, Texas in 2005, an all-time great team. And then 2013 Florida state, another all-time great team. So what they're doing, regardless of who they're playing is historical um, with, with how impressive they've been on both sides of the ball. So, you got them at twenty. You said twenty seven ten. I've got them at twenty eight thirteen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like both of those. Um, okay, let's go to this one because uh, it's what I want to talk about most. Bama, Kentucky. I think will be will be um, will be pretty similar here. Um, yeah, uh, Bama or uh, Kentucky's plus ten and a half at home. This one's at twelve p.m. on ESPN. Total forty eight. Um, was this line surprising to you at all? Yes, it like very surprising. I would like, and maybe it shouldn't be. I think it makes sense. And ten points, I would be happy with a ten point win. I was kind of surprised it was that low. I was kind of surprised it was that low. Now here's the thing: I was going to try to do a deep dive on all the times that Bama has come after the LSU game and had a situation where it's like, well, you know, they played, you know, like 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 last year coming off the loss against LSU, they played an Ole Miss team when they were an 11.5-point favorite, 11-point favorite, and it's a close game that comes down the wire. They only win by six. Off the top of my head, you think about 20 – I'm thinking it's like 2012, coming off an emotional winning against LSU. Your next week you played at home against A&M, and that was the Johnny Manziel game. I don't know if if that's what's going to happen. The 10 points is kind of terrifying for for me. Um, because they're begging you. Vegas is begging you to take Bama to, to beat a, a, a Kentucky team that, quite frankly, you know, lost by 38 to UGA, right? Like, like has has not looked great. Um, I'll stay away from this game from a betting standpoint, right? But I think here's the thing. Like, if you're talking about a path for Kentucky to win, there, there could be a path. I've been very low on Kentucky for quite some time. The path is, okay, you need 
Devin Leary to be Steven Garcia and have a 17 out of 20 for 200-something-plus yards, no turnovers, all that kind of stuff, and, and, and that be how your quarterback performance is. You also need, I think, one of, one of these or probably both, if we're being honest, every single time. Like if, 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 if this is like the like compared to the Manziel game, if Bama's down even double digits in the first half, as a Bama fan, you, you kind of have to feel still pretty confident that you're able to come back because every single second half against good opponents in this little run they're on, They've been able to put the clamps down on defense, and they've made halftime adjustments, and they have dominated the second half. They did it against LSU. They did it against Ole Miss. They damn sure did it against Tennessee. If I'm if I'm telling if you're telling me that Kentucky's going to win this game, I'm thinking you're going to need something in special teams and or two two being plus two in the turnover margin, and you need all that to happen in the second thirty minutes of this game. Like you you need Bama to be in situations like oh my god we we had a a, a pick six or like a pick way in our own side of the field like that's what it's gonna take i look at okay so bama's 38 all time versus kentucky Mm -hmm. i would argue dating back to kentucky's bowl game last year they all right i've lost you So I, I think dating back to the bowl game last year, Kentucky hasn't beat anyone, anyone mm-hmm. worth a shit on their schedule. They're six and right. four in their last ten. Their losses are to Georgia, fifty-one to thirteen, Iowa in a bowl game, twenty-one nothing. Or did they beat Iowa twenty-one nothing? Anyways, it doesn't matter. New at home, thirty-eight twenty-one. Tennessee at home, 33-27. So those mm-hmm. are the teams that they've played that they lost to. Here are their wins in the last 10. Ball State, Eastern Kentucky, Akron, Vandy, Mississippi State, and Florida, which we now know the Florida win, not so great. Kentucky hasn't scored in double digits against Alabama since Obama was freshly minted the president of the United States. Love it. I think Bama's going to roll. I think they're, they're starting to open up on offense. Kayla Milrow gets better every week. Yeah. Some of that last week, admittedly, is because LSU's defense is horrific, but I also think Bama's starting to click at the right time. I'm laying the points. Bama 35, Kentucky 13. Okay, so I'm scared again of, of what this could be. And sorry for the technical difficulties, y'all. Um, I yeah. should have never should have never tried to do that segment without planning it beforehand. That was a bad idea. It's all on me. <laughs> um, but, no, so I, I think it's the points scare me because Vegas is rarely wrong. But I will also tell you this, Tyler. has has Vegas been super right this year about Alabama? Six and a half against Ole Miss, you win by 14. Three and a half at home against LSU, you win by 14. You were a touchdown favorite at home against against uh, Texas. You lost by 10. Like, it's not like they've been super great. Uh, you know, with like that A&M game, it, didn't it trickle down to one? And they won by 14? I don't. I can't remember. You're better at remembering stuff like that. So, like, I'm pretty sure I'm right on that. I know it was right around game time. It was around two because I started to panic a, a lot. I think Vegas is right a lot, but they haven't been super accurate about Alabama this year. And I'll say that. And I hope I'm wrong about this, but I just have a hard time looking at Kentucky ever and thinking, you know what, that team's Devin Leary's going to come out for 60 minutes and play like on fire. Like we've seen in the past where 
you know, last year against Georgia, they held them to 16 to six. Maybe it's some super ugly win like that. But let me give you a stat. Mark Stoops against top 10 opponents while he's been at Kentucky. He is one in 17 versus top 10 teams in, in 18 career games as the head coach at Kentucky. In those 18 games, they have a, um, an average margin of loss of 24 and a half points per game. Not only is he losing the top 10 teams, but in those 17 losses, they've lost by an average of 24 and a half points per game. In the last 10, in the last 10 games he's had against uh, top 10 opponents, he's one in nine. They beat Florida once, right? Uh, but he's one in nine overall. They scored over 14 points just once in those 10 games. Over 14. Uh, he was held yeah. under 10 points or less in those 10 games six times. And the average margin of loss in those nine losses in his last 10 games, 26.1 points per game with an average score of 31.5 to 8.7. You just can't convince me that all of a sudden Kentucky with the number, and I think the stat you might have thrown out is is probably even more important. You just can't convince me that Kentucky is going to come out and do anything to this Alabama team. I I will be as, as bland as possible. Um, on the road, maybe it's a scary game. I don't know. I'll say Bama wins 24 to 13. I'd be surprised if it was that close. Yeah. All right, where All are right. you next? Let's jump to my team. I'm putting in a fresh yeah. zone for this one. You're putting in a what? A zinner. Oh, okay. I can't think of any Florida puns State, right now. Miami, 330, ABC, just like it used to be in the good old days. This, this game always used to be at 330. Yeah, it was fun. Miami, Miami. yeah. Uh, at number four, Florida State, current line 14 and a half, total 50. Very interested to see what Mario Cristobal does at quarterback in this game. Tyler Van Dyke has been terrible over the last three games. Starting with that Georgia Tech game where they should have took a knee and won the game. By all accounts, they should be seven and two and probably ranked. Yeah. But in that Tech game, Tyler Van Dyke threw for one touchdown and three picks and he got hurt. He was injured. He sat the next game, Clemson uh, in the Clemson game. Freshman, true freshman backup quarterback, Emory, Emory Williams came in and actually beat Clemson at home 28-20. Put Tyler Van Dyke back in. They play against a pretty mid-Virginia team, and they go to overtime with them. Tyler Van Dyke throws for 160 yards, zero touchdowns, two picks. Last week, they go on the road to NC State, which is a sneaky tough place to play at night. Mm-hmm. Miami puts up six points. He goes 55% passing, 170 yards, zero touchdowns, three picks, and a fumble. Rumors are he has multiple injuries. You could look at the off the numbers on offense this year for Miami, and they're top 25 in yards per play, top 25 in yards per rush. But if you look at the last three games, they go from 6.5 yards per play to 4.7 over the last three. That's a huge jump. Yeah. Uh, 5.2 to 4.6 on the ground. Um Tyler Van Dyke's QBR went from 145.2 to 96.2. That's crazy. Um, now, so this is where I have the most confidence in, in Florida State's defense stopping their offense. Miami's defense is a concern. They have some really good young talent on that side of the ball. This kid, Reuben Bain from Miami Central High School, is a true freshman. It's a perfect yeah. Miami name, by the way, Reuben Bain. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's a really good Miami name. <laughs> He's top 25 in pressures on the season, regardless of class, regardless of position on defense. 33 pressures on the quarterback this year. He's a beast. Um, Florida State's O-line's improved year over year, but 
I think they're improved in that the floor is much better than the ceiling. Mm-hmm. They're still not a great offensive line. When they play really physical teams along the D-line, they have some issues blocking. Last week was crazy. I don't know that people really understand how many people that Florida State had out on offense last week. It was it was in, it was truly insane. They had There's Keon Coleman and Johnny Wilson out. Right. Yeah. Almost the entire receiving core uh, was out. Um, as long as those guys are back for this game, I love Florida State in this in this matchup right here. Um, and I hate saying that. I'd like to emotionally head just like you do. Yep. The rivalry game, so anything could happen. But I think Florida State is going to have a nice night on offense. At home, they're putting up 7.2 yards per play, which is top 10 nationally. Uh, Jordan Travis has been really good in these big games for Florida State. Norvell, I, I feel, is one of the best play callers in the country. Mm-hmm. And I think Miami's a little vulnerable right now. I think the I think the game will play out like the Duke game did, where Florida State struggled a bit to start the game. They're kind of getting gashed in the run game. They weren't running the ball well. They threw a pick six. Duke had some momentum, but eventually Florida State settled in and blew them off the field. I think Florida State wins big here, 38-17. I wouldn't be surprised to see something crazy happen in special teams. Yeah. Florida State's been really good at returning kicks this year. Miami's been awful at covering it. And kind of vice versa as well. Keon Coleman's been great in the punt return game. So if he's back, watch it there too. Um, but I like Florida State 38-17. I will be in the crowd. Yeah, so you I'm very excited about that. Um, it's been a long time since I've been at a real juiced up home game like this. So uh yeah, I'm hoping this continues. Florida State goes to 10 and 0 and we move to next week. What about Tyler, you? You gotta have a new shirt to wear to this game too. Thanks oh. to our good friends at Smack Apparel. Um, and I'm pretty excited. And it's, and it's not one of their t-shirts. It's a, like a legit, it's a really, it's a really nice shirt. I think you're going to like it. I hope, I hope it gets to you in time. I should have had it. Well, sooner. I leave tomorrow. So probably not. Well, you probably will not then. Never <laughs> mind. I, I reached out to Jeff Antonella, um, to see if he would meet you there. Cause I, he goes to Florida state games, uh, a decent amount. And I know he lives in Florida. He's actually being inducted into the USF, um, Sports Hall of Fame. He was a former goalie for the USF soccer team, played in the MLS for a while. But anyway, yeah. great. I just want to give a shout out to Smack Apparel for all they do. They 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 um they've sent us a few shirts and, and we love it. So hopefully, you, I was hoping you'd have it, but that's that's my fault. Um, okay, back to this game real quick. Florida State is back. Yes or no? Uh, I don't think they're. Shut up. Just say the, yes. Uh, I think they're back. They're on their way back for sure. I don't think they're on yeah. the elite level of the Georgia Michigan tier yet, but. Right, I think they're back. Yes, they are. I, I, when I think of Florida State being back, I think them running rough shot through the ACC, finishing with ten wins, finishing in the top ten, and I think Florida State is back by all means with, when it comes to that recruiting at an elite level, all kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. When uh, when Florida State is back, back, they're beating Miami. They're the 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 doke like the chop in the doke is, is going crazy. It's yeah. for sixty fucking minutes nonstop, and it it is. It like it's a different atmosphere that we haven't really seen, and I would say ten to fifteen years. And I think that that's where they're getting closer and closer to. But when yeah. Florida State's back, they're beating Miami uh, and and Florida, and and I think that this is going to be a situation where when you look at Keon Coleman and and Johnny Wilson, who was out, they were both out a week ago. That's fifty percent of your of your receiving touchdowns on the season, right? There's a reason why they may have struggled a little bit early against Pitt. Um, I don't think they're going to struggle against Miami. I think this is a team that you've seen. Now, I know what happened on the road against Clemson. This isn't at Clemson. This is at home in Dope Campbell Stadium. Like, you're going to have a situation where where Mike Norvell is going to be able to talk that team up and say, like, this 
is a fucking iconic moment you get to be a part of as a Florida State Seminole and beating the Miami Hurricanes. Like, let me show you every single time that you you can like look at like the lore of this of this rivalry of the lore of this program and it was built on wins against this fucking program and now you get to be a part of it and I think Florida State goes out and proves a point. I'll tell you a stat for for Chris, Miami. Before you go on, he gave that speech immediately after the pit game. It was they caught it they caught it on camera. They do these like cinematic recaps and uh-huh. he goes, "It's great. We cl- cleansed the ACC championship. That's awesome. It's a great accomplishment." He goes, "This week, starting now, this is the one." And he was saying the same thing. He's like, "This is why you came to Florida State. Yep. You look back in history. This is the game." And it's that's I, I people around the program said he is very focused on this game. I love it. I love it. I think yeah. the Florida State wins. I think they win big. I'm excited for you to go. It's gonna be a really, really awesome atmosphere. I don't think this is a good game. I don't think it's a wide right, wide left game. Here's a fun fact for you. Do you know that what Miami's record is? You know, my Miami is six and zero this season. When they fill in the blank, don't turn the ball over four times, four plus times. They turn the ball over four plus times in all their losses. I don't think they're going to turn the ball over four plus times in this game because it seems almost statistically fucking impossible to do so. But you, if you would have told me they would have done it multiple times in a, in a season. I would have thought that was crazy, and they've managed to do it three fucking times. So I think Florida State wins. I think Florida State wins big. I don't care if there's one turnover, two or three or four. I think Florida State wins by by double digits, and I would say Florida State 31 to 10. Okay. Yeah. I like this matchup here. 330 on CBS. Number 13, Tennessee at number 14, Missouri. Missouri, a one-point underdog at home, total 58. Um. Tennessee has routed Missouri and Josh Heupel's first two years at the helm of Tennessee. Um, they won 62 to 24 two years ago and mm-hmm. 66 to 24 last year. Good Lord. Yes. Um, but this is a different Missouri team, uh, obviously. Tennessee's coming off the blowout of UConn, where they mm-hmm. were able to rest a lot of their starters in the second half of that game. Missouri's coming off a hard fought loss at Georgia. Feels like Tennessee's kind of getting healthy right now. They they yeah. sat out Javari Small last week, as well as a couple O line and D linemen, and they're they're all expected to be back. For me, Tennessee's number one rushing offense and number one rushing defense in the SEC. That's where it starts for them. They're fourth in the country in rush yards, fifth in the r- yards per rush. Um, they're eighth in the country in yards per rush allowed at two point nine. So, I love the Missouri offense. Love what Brady Cook's done this year. Obviously, love Luther Burden and Theo Weiss. Their pass game is going to have to lead them to a win here. I don't think Cody Schrader is going to be able to get off like he's been able to. Um, Tennessee, 10th in the country in sacks per game. So watch out for that as well. But yeah. I think Tennessee can lean on the run game here. Um, I'm just here to admit, Chris, I'm once again backing a Joe Milton-led football team. No. Tennessee has a lot to play for here. Um, if they, they win this and, and Ole Miss can beat Georgia somehow, they give themselves a chance next week against Georgia to play in the SEC championship game. Okay. I so I, I think you you mix that in. They're, they're going to be very motivated. I'm not saying Missouri isn't. But there's also that thing that we always used to see when teams used to play Alabama where they play Alabama and it would just be a tough game and they may have even played well, but the next week, that yeah. body blow theory, that's what scares me here for Missouri. And that's oh, why I, I agree with that. I'm 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 picking Tennessee 30 to 28. So 
I hate the fact that this game, like this game scares me so much from Mizzou because I think it's such an opportunity for them to, to have a program builder. And you guys know how I feel about Tennessee and you know how I feel about Mizzou and I want Mizzou to, to win. So I'm going to give you just a double-edged sword here. I'll, I'll emotionally hitch for this one, Tyler. I want Missouri to win this game. I think it's awesome that they get to talk about the fact that they have back-to-back weeks where they are playing in on a 3:30 CBS game. I don't know the last time or if that even has happened for Mizzou since they've been here. It probably has. I don't want to sound ignorant. Maybe 2013 when they were pretty good. Maybe 2014, same. Like, like possibly. But I think it's really cool and a really cool opportunity for Eli Drinkwitz to get that team back up. You're at home, but if if you are if you are Mizzou, I think that you need to take on the mindset of we are the underdog. Let's go shock the world. Cause I don't think there's a lot of people think Tennessee's going to, to lose to Mizzou this week. Right. Even though the line opened at three, there's a reason why it already jumped to Tennessee being favored by one. That's crazy. Um, I want Mizzou to win this game. If I'm being objective though, I don't know after how physical I'm sure that game was a week ago. I don't know if they're going to be able to line up for 60 minutes and stop Tennessee's run game. I don't think Joe Milton can beat them. Um, I think there's, there's, there's yards to be had on, on Tennessee's defense, but I just don't know if emotionally they're able to get back up. And here's the other thing too, man. Brady Cook has been a really good quarterback. We saw what it looked like after he got put under some pressure last week against, against Georgia. Tennessee's going to get after the quarterback. They are going to get after the quarterback. And I think Tennessee ends up winning this game. I'm close to the same score. You said I'm going to take 34 to, to, to 28 though. Okay. Um, another 3.30 game here on Fox, number 18, Utah, at number five, Washington. Washington currently a nine-point favorite, total 53.5. Um, Washington off the big win at USC. Um, Penix had a good game. He had three touchdowns, but Dylan Johnson was really that running back, which he transferred from Mississippi State, if you guys are – if SEC fans know the name, Dylan Johnson. Yeah. Uh, went off for Washington, ran for 256 yards and four touchdowns against USC. Um, I just actually said we need to do you, we need to do up, but I mean, UGA. Uh, yeah, so, I, I was trying to, yeah, okay. but uh, but obviously, Utah's going to be a different animal on defense yeah. than USC. Um, they're first in the Pac 12 in points allowed and yards allowed per game. Um, Utah also put up 55 points last week against Arizona State after that miserable performance against Oregon. So, mm-hmm. uh, Bryson Barnes threw for a career high, a high four touchdowns. Um, Utah held Arizona State to just 83 yards, one of 15 on third down. That's crazy. Utah's four and one this year in nationally televised games. Um, but I expect some tough sledding for the Utah offense, obviously. Um, this will be a stiff test for the Washington offense as well. But um, I just think Pinnix and those receivers will step up and, and get Washington the win and the cover. Uh, if this was in Utah, maybe it'd be a bit different, but yeah. also the line wouldn't be as high. I'm going to take Washington 31-20. Yeah, so here's here's where I'm at with this, and that is the fact that you look at the way they've performed on the road, dating back even to last year. Like let's let's like not not neutral site games, but let's look at, like specifically on the road the regular season. You have a loss against uh, UCLA by uh, by eight. You have a, a win by four at Washington State. Lost against Oregon, beat Colorado on the road, which doesn't really count. And then you look at this year, they're two and one, but you know, like one of those wins is at Baylor, who's awful, and you, you beat them by seven, and that game came down to the absolute wire. So I don't know how great they are. You're going to a very, very hostile environment with, with a team that seems like every week Washington's been kind of a little bit in a dogfight. Um, 
the offenses or the defense isn't great for Washington, but the offense is. And I think it'll be a fun battle early on to see what like Utah is able to look at and see on tape from Kyle Whittingham um, and what they're able to do against this offense. But there hasn't been anybody that's really been able to go toe to toe with Washington's offense at all this season. Um, I just have a feeling regardless of, of who's at quarterback at Cam rising, obviously is not coming back this year. Um, I just think Washington's too strong for him. So I like Washington to win. I don't think we're talking a 40 point game for Washington because that, that is almost unheard of against Utah's uh, defense. I will say Washington wins 35 to 20. Okay. Um, Four o'clock on the SEC network. We've got Auburn and Arkansas. Arkansas currently down to a two and a half point favorite at home. Total 48. Uh, Auburn eight and two in this matchup in the last 10 straight up. Mm -hmm. Last time they played in Fayetteville, they were four and a half point underdogs and one outright 38 to 23. Last year, Arkansas put up 280 yards rushing on Auburn in a 41-27 win on the Plains. What do you think about this game? Uh, I'll keep it very short and sweet. This team has been night and day different at home versus on the road. Uh, At home, we've seen them stay close with top 10 teams like Georgia and Ole Miss. On the road, we've seen them struggle against teams like Cal um, and and then get blown out, obviously, at LSU. Uh, I'm not going to count the Vanderbilt game because it's Vanderbilt, and that doesn't really matter to me. But we've seen them get blown out against Texas A&M a close win against a bad Cal team, um, and then, like I said, blown out against LSU. Uh, their offensive scoring and, and just with the offense has run at home versus on the road. They average 16 points more per game uh, at home versus on the road, and then the way the offensive production is, they have an average of over 125 yards more per game at home versus on the road. I don't think it's going to be a, quite a hostile environment because Arkansas is 3-6, and six, but – they, they had a chance to roll over and die last week against Florida. They didn't. I like K.J. Jefferson. I like the fact that this Arkansas defense, even though they've been really, really bad, I think they, they will be able to get to Peyton Thorne a decent amount like we saw them do against Alabama. I just don't trust Auburn away from home. I, I, I think it's a re- this is the win you're looking for if you're Auburn, besides Bama maybe, because I don't think that's as attainable. This is a really good opportunity for Hugh Freeze. I just think they come up short. I like, I like Arkansas 27-24. to 24. Okay. Um, I'm similar in score, but I actually have Auburn taking this one. Auburn 7-3 against the spread against Arkansas the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. Ty Washington, pretty talented tight end for them, is out for the year. Austin Armstrong, Arkansas's leading receiver, is questionable for this game. Um, Arkansas gashed Florida last week for 8.4 yeah. yards per carry. They're not going to be able to do that, I don't think, against Auburn's defense. Um, and I'm going to go with the upset here, Auburn 28-27. Okay, love it. All right, last game. A lot of implications here. Georgia can clinch the SEC East division title with a win here. Um, Ole Miss has won five straight since losing to Alabama. Um, they still have some small SEC West hopes here. They're still alive. They'd have to win this game. Bama would have to lose twice, right? Yeah. Um, so very small SEC West hopes. Um, I think you're going to see Carson Beck continue to continue um, his kind of ascent in his Heisman odds this week. He's been one of the most efficient QBs in the country. Ole Miss is 104th in the country in completion percentage allowed. I think Georgia is going to have success through the air against Ole Miss. And then I think they'll be able to wear him down late with Dejan Edwards and Kendall Milton. Um, If Ole Miss wants to win this game, I think turnovers are going to be key. And Quinchon Judkins is going to have to have a game going on the ground. And that would lead to play action for Jackson Dart. You know, Georgia... As good as their defense is, they haven't exactly been what they've been over the last few years when it comes to sacking the quarterback. Yeah. So um, 
you're not as worried about that this year with that defense. And Ole Miss has been hitting explosive plays. I think they're third in the country in explosive plays. Georgia needs to stop that. Luckily, they're 12th in stopping explosive plays. I just think with this atmosphere at night, it's just one of those situations where you just, over the last few years, you have not seen Georgia under-deliver in, the, in games like this. No. I don't think Ole Miss can pull this off. Um, the line is interesting. You know, it was at 11, and now it's like you can get it at 10.5 at some books. I would probably, if I was going to bet on this game, I'd probably take Ole Miss if the if the line stays over 10. But if it gets to 10, I'd probably take Georgia. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say gut feel, Georgia 35, Ole Miss 21, which I know is more than the 10. But I think if I was, if I was officially going to bet on it, I'd probably wait till it got to 10 if it does. Because uh, I just don't see a scenario where Georgia doesn't win by more than 10 in my mind. I mean, yeah. so I got 35-21. So Lane Kiffin is 4-23 and all-time against teams that have finished in the top 25 um, as a head coach. Uh, then you look at – so I, I brought it up with, with a couple of teams we've already previewed, but I'll do it again here because I think it stands out a lot. Um, Ole Miss is a really, really good offense. They're a really good team, I think. Um, Pete Golding's done a lot uh, with that defense, I think, this year, uh, and, and more than people probably – Wanted to give him credit for going into the year and probably still do. Um, Ole Miss on the road in Athens at night. Georgia is coming off, obviously, like two very big games for them um, with, with the rivalry against Florida and also what they did against Missouri last week. Um, they have another one still in, in winning the wings against Tennessee. But Georgia at home, right? Like I just told you about Lane Kiffin and what it does against top 25 teams. Lane Kiffin and this offense, they have uh, averaged 20 points less per game on the road this season and almost 175 yards less per game um, on the road or set home. You look at their last eight games uh, away from bought Hemingway stadium. It's littered with a lot of losses. They have a win at Tulane. They got one against Vandy and they got one against five and seven A&M last year. Not super impressive, right? They, they, I mean, they, they beat Auburn this year as well, but those are all teams that are right at 500 or below 500 over the past couple of seasons. Um, or I'm sorry, this this past season, I, I don't think that Ole Miss is able to go on the road and get a, a, a shocking victory. I will tell you the key to this game for Ole Miss, in my opinion, is Ulysses Bentley. If you're looking for like a player that I think has to have a breakout game, I don't think that, that George is going to struggle to shut down Trey Harris for 60 straight minutes because we haven't seen a receiver really go off against him in the past couple of years besides Marvin Harrison in that first quarter. I don't think they're going to struggle to stop the run for 60 straight minutes, especially with an in-between the type tacklers type – wow, in-between the tackles type runner – with Quinshawn Judkins, but look for Ole Miss early and often in this game to try to use Ulysses Bentley in like wheel routes and take a page out of that 2020 Florida game. And I think that's what Lane Kiffin will probably try to do is I wouldn't say trick plays, but some stuff that, that Georgia might not be familiar with, get, get players running all over the place in space. I still think Georgia wins this game because I think they're, they're probably the best team in the country. Um, the way they play in closeout seasons, I got Georgia 38 Ole Miss, 27. That's all. Okay. Um, all right. That's the show. Um, there you go. As always, uh, we really appreciate you guys listening to the show. Uh, we really help us in the growth of the show. If you would rate us five stars on Apple and Spotify, leave a review. We will read the best ones on air and like and subscribe to our YouTube page. Uh, leave a message this weekend. We've, we've, over the last pretty much every single week, we've gotten more and more uh, yeah, voicemails. So.
Tyler has broken up. I will close out the show because I don't know. Can't tell if he's still talking. We appreciate you guys. Call the hotline seven seven Saturdays on South on YouTube. Oh, this is weird and awkward. Awesome. All right. <laughs>